The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks, episode number 33. As always, my name is Bill. A day late and a dollar short on this episode, but I have good reason. Uh, This past weekend was the Gasparilla Parade here in the Tampa area. So I went into the actual city of Tampa to check out the parade. For those of you who don't know, Gasparilla is a pirate-themed parade that takes place right along Tampa Bay every year. And the the idea is a boat full of pirates demands the key to the city from the mayor of Tampa, and he refuses. So the pirates have to come into town and pillage their way to the key of the city. So the parade is interesting. The idea is basically a bunch of people get dressed up as pirates and get hammered so you can't really go wrong there and they have a three-hour parade so there's a bunch of drinking clubs and local businesses and things like that that have floats in the parade and they drive down the one of the main streets uh, along the bay and they throw beads at people very similar to Mardi Gras and uh, people are stumbling over each other very intoxicated but uh, for the amount of people that were there it seems like people stayed very safe. Obviously, if you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I'm no stranger to drinking a lot of alcohol. But uh, usually taking part in these kinds of things is not really my scene. I'm more of a dive bar or, or drinking at home or drinking with friends kind of guy. But I found this to be entertaining. And I, I posted uh, I posted some content of some of the silliness I saw up on Instagram. So if you want to check that out, uh, at MMA on the Rocks on Instagram and uh, put some stuff on Twitter and Facebook as well at MMA on the Rocks there. Uh, in any case, exciting uh, exciting weekend of combat sports. So we had some flow grappling, some Mission Underground. We had, of course, UFC Fight Night on Fox 23 from Denver, Colorado. And let's jump right into it. So UFC Fight Night, I'll start there because... There was probably the most buzz around that, although probably one of the lesser talked about fight cards in a long time. There wasn't a whole lot of buildup for this, even though it was on Big Fox, and I'm not really sure why. On paper, this is a great card. It definitely delivered, but something about it fell kind of short. I don't know if it was the marketing that I, I couldn't get excited for this one or the fact that it came on earlier. You know, usually you expect... Uh, I'm on the East Coast here. Usually you expect these cards to get started around 6 p.m. And this one started much earlier, I, I guess because it was in Denver. So usually they're they're out on the West Coast. But it seems like the timing usually aligns that, you know, prelims are at 6 or 6.30, um, uh, early prelims anyway, and then the regular prelims on Fox Sports 1 at 8, and then the main card at 10. Uh this thing was pretty much over by 11 p.m., so I caught on a little bit late. I had to go back and rewatch some of these fights so that I can talk about them here. In any case, the biggest story had to be um, 
the main event, which was Valentina Shevchenko against Juliana Pena. And I think a lot of people underestimated the, the quality of this main event. I mean, you have two of the baddest women on the planet in this fight. And uh, odds makers said that Shevchenko was the favorite, but a lot of people thought that Juliana Pena was going to steal this one away, especially if it went to the ground. And I kept hearing people say that they were surprised that Shevchenko won this fight by uh, submission. So she got her in an arm bar in the second round, and it seemed like Juliana Pena injured her shoulder in the first round, um, and she still tried to get the fight to the ground in the second, and it didn't work out for her because Shevchenko tapped her out. But if you look at Shevchenko's early career, she has five or six wins by submission. You know, it's only later on in her career that she became known as a striker. And obviously, she's she's got a huge uh, Muay Thai background, and her striking is devastating. But a lot of people thought that if she was going to win this fight, it would be either by decision or she would get a, a TKO against Pena. Uh, I don't think many people anticipated a submission, but this is a very, very well-rounded fighter. After the fight, Amanda Nunez came in the octagon uh, with her dog, the bounty hunter haircut. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they squared off. So obviously that's the next fight they're going to make, uh, which is a rematch. Now, last time they fought, uh, Nunez did win, uh, but it was a close fight. Uh, and Amanda Nunez, if, if you'll remember, ran out of gas and Valentina Shevchenko put it on her in that third round. So you got to wonder if they have a five round fight and it goes the distance, it has to favor, uh, the unbelievable cardio of Valentina Shevchenko. I mean, she's one of those fighters who just seems to get better and better as the fight goes on. Uh, that was evident in her fight against Holly Holm, the former champion. So definitely someone to keep your eye on. And uh, this kind of leaves Raquel Pennington waiting in the wings, which sucks for her, but you know it's not a bad problem for the UFC to have, to have so many competitors in a division that a year and a half ago seemed like it was cleaned out by Ronda Rousey. I mean, it, it's a totally different division right now. It's hardly recognizable, and that's a great thing. It's it's awesome to see so much competition in this women's bantamweight division. Uh, as for Juliana Pena, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't count her out of the running by any means. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a bad performance, but she was coming off a pretty mean winning streak, and I think she was looking at a title shot if she came away with the victory here, but that wasn't the case. Uh, I would expect for her to come back strong in her next fight. But uh, Shevchenko is someone who I've been advocating for for a long time. And uh, I'm really excited to see her, you know, get in the spotlight a little bit. When Amanda Nunez came into the octagon, the, the trash talk that they were hoping to facilitate, I guess, was a little bit awkward. Neither of them are really trash talkers. And it was very forced... Uh, but for hardcore fans, this is going to be an awesome fight and an awesome rematch, and I'm really looking forward to it no matter when it happens. Now, Amanda Nunez has been talking about uh, challenging for the women's 145-pound championship, which technically doesn't exist until next week when Holly Holm takes on uh, Jermaine Durandamy. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think Shevchenko Nunez is the fight you have to make. Amanda Nunez doesn't really have that kind of pull where she can, you know, dictate uh, what kind of fight she's going to get, like Conor McGregor or or somebody who's, you know, got a little bit more uh, name recognition. Speaking of name recognition, though, Donald Cowboy Cerrone 
one of the uh, most recognizable fighters in the UFC, took a big loss to Jorge Masvidal last night. Uh, he was knocked out in the second round technically, although I don't think he should have been let off the stool to go out for that second round by his corner. Uh, so a couple of mistakes there. First, uh, Herb Dean broke up the fight at the end of the first round, and he touched the fighters before the bell went off. So a little bit of controversy there. Maybe Herb should have stopped that fight. So it seems that controversy follows Herb Dean and Jorge Masvidal because if you'll recall in Masvidal's last fight against Jake Ellenberger was the infamous incident where Ellenberger's foot got caught in the fence. Herb Dean called a timeout, which resulted in a TKO loss for Jake Ellenberger. So in any case, I believe Herb Dean should have stopped the fight. He touched him before the bell went off and Cerrone was clearly out unconscious now i know you have to take into consideration that he's one of the toughest fighters on the roster and uh, it's a tough decision to make but he was still dazed for the entire duration of the one minute break in between rounds and even when he got up and looked the doctors in the eye he his eyes were still glazed over so he went out there and lasted another minute with masvidal who eventually put him away and um, it, it's unfortunate that he took a lot of unnecessary punishment there. The fight should have been stopped in the first round. No question about it. And uh, I'm really surprised by Greg, ja uh, Greg Jackson's decision to put him back out there because, you know, Greg Jackson's a smart guy. He's been doing this a long time. And it, you know the toughness of your fighters, but you also have to know when they're in danger. And he took some unnecessary blows out there. He was out on his feet at the start of that second round. All that being said... You got to give all the credit in the world to Jorge Masvidal, who is one of the dark horses of the welterweight division now. He moved up from uh, lightweight, just like Cerrone did, and both of them look a lot better at welterweight, in my opinion. And uh, Masvidal breaking the top ten with that victory. Uh, one of his criticisms in the past is that he's never been able to pull the trigger, and he's been kind of hot and cold for that reason. He's got some of the best boxing in the division and in the UFC period. Uh, he's got great hands, and he's got great wrestling, which is why I knew that this would be a tough matchup for Cowboy Cerrone because, you know, Cowboy has great Muay Thai, and when that fails, he's got great jiu-jitsu off of his back. But this fight was only going to the ground if Masvidal wanted it there because he has superior wrestling. These two have even trained together before, and um, they both knew going in that Masvidal had better wrestling, better boxing and Cerrone has better kicks and better jiu-jitsu. So Cerrone was able to get off some great leg kicks early on in the fight, but uh, it definitely wasn't enough to phase Masvidal. So huge, huge victory for him. And another big win on the card was for heavyweight Francis Ngannou, who knocked out Andre Arlovsky. Uh, I don't think anybody really saw this fight going any differently than it did. Uh, Arlovsky, unfortunately, is kind of on his way out. He's lost a bunch in a row now. He did have a kind of resurgence and a comeback for a while there, and it looked like he might have even been able to go for a title run. But I think uh, I think that's pretty much out of the question now. Uh, Ngannou blasting him out of there in a minute and thirty seconds. It was just it was just uh, inevitable. It, it was like you knew it was going to happen. So it was just a matter of when, and it happened pretty quick. Unfortunately for Arlovsky, who has had such a long career and such a great career, multiple-time heavyweight champion. And I think, you know, he's only 37, which is kind of unbelievable to think about because you think about Arlovsky, he's been fighting since the beginning of time, it seems like. And um, 
Nganu is just a monster. I mean, only 30 years old, and he's been finishing guys left and right. Now, a lot of people are calling for him to get a top contender. I, I would like to see him face somebody at, maybe at the bottom level of the top 10 next. Um, not that I don't think he can handle it, but I like the way that they're building him up slow and letting him build a highlight reel, which is uh, very much not what the UFC typically does. So I think they have the potential for a superstar here, and I think they got to ease him into that top five. And hopefully that happens for him. I mean, he's, he's a spectacular talent, and we got to see him against a high-level wrestler, I think. And uh, that'll be the big test for Francis Ngannou. But uh, amazing performance. Whether Arlovsky's on his way out or not, uh, he was ranked in the top 10 at number 7, I believe. And he's one of the biggest names in the division. So that's a huge, huge win for Ngannou. And I hope Arlovsky will consider retiring after this. But he seems like he's one of those guys that won't really know what to do with himself if he's not fighting. Fight right before that. Uh, was Jason Knight versus Alex Caceres. And this is, Jason Knight is a guy that I've been advocating to. You go go back, I think, to episode two of the podcast. And uh, I was talking about keeping an eye on this kid. He's basically like a redneck Diaz brother. He gets in there and he talks trash and he pressures guys until they break. Alex Caceres, definitely the biggest test that he's had so far. Caceres obviously coming off uh, a five-round war with Yair Rodriguez, who's one of the top guys in the division as well. So this was a huge test for Jason Knight, and he he really put that pressure on Caceres uh, the entire fight. So Caceres had the, the more consistent striking, uh, but Jason Knight just kept putting that pressure and jumped on Caceres' back at the end of the first round, and uh, Caceres looked a little wobbly going back to his corner. He came out in the second round, and... Uh, Jason Knight had a huge body lock slam that he landed on him. And, oh, I'm sorry, that was at the end of the first round. And then in the second round, he jumped on Caceres' back and just sunk a body lock in that was so seamless. He basically just slid his shin across Caceres' belly and had that body lock triangle on him and didn't really give him a chance to defend it because he kept going for chokes and dropping elbows and dropping punches and rolling him over. So Caceres never had a chance to defend the body lock and eventually tapped out to a rear naked choke in the second round uh, towards the end of it. But the, it was the pressure of Jason Knight that really spoke to it. And then he called out uh, Korean Superboy Duho uh, du Choi. And I think that's an awesome fight because those are two guys who are, are both known for breaking their opponents down with pressure and I think that would be a really exciting fight. Obviously, Duho coming off the fight of the century with Cub Swanson. So I think those two can put on an amazing fight. And, uh, you know, Jason Knight is a, is a kid who I still maintain that you should keep an eye on. If you haven't seen some of his previous fights, you should check them out because they're very entertaining. Uh, he's a, He's got great grappling. And, you know, the trash talk is, is entertaining. I mean, some people find it classless, but I find it, I find it funny. So, uh, you know, check them out. Uh, before that was uh, Sam Alvey and Nate Marquardt. Uh, gosh, I really didn't have any interest in watching this fight. And I missed it, and I didn't go back and watch it. And I'm not really sorry about it, but Sam Alvey 
won a unanimous decision there. So uh, Nate Marquardt's a guy, another guy who's just been so hot and so cold uh, in the last uh, forever amount of time. So I don't really have an opinion about that fight, and I'm not upset that I missed it. Another fight that I did go back and watch because I thought it would be the sleeper fight on the card was Rafael Sunshow and Aljamain Sterling. Uh, I was kind of right because it was a sleepy fight. It was not that exciting. And it was kind of to be expected. These are two counterfighters. So these are guys who are both very calculated. Uh, Aljamain Sterling had a problem with getting uh, kicked in the groin in this fight. So he got kicked once in the first round and the ref stopped it and he didn't deduct a point. Uh, but you could tell that that Aljo was kind of stunned by that. And then in the second round, it happened again. A Sunsau backed off knowing that he hit him in the balls. And uh, the referee didn't see it, so they had to keep fighting. Uh, the first two rounds were kind of up in the air because it was so back and forth. I mean, this, if you look at the striking stats, they were pretty much even. And Brian Stan even called it. He said in the second round that this is the kind of fight that goes to a split decision and one guy ends up being really upset and he was right so the split decision went to Rafael Sunsau and obviously Aljo is uh really upset because you know he's wanted this fight for a while this fight was supposed to happen in uh, on the Buffalo New York card but Aljamain Sterling had some kind of medical condition that he claims he's always had and it didn't allow him to fight and we know that that New York Athletic Commission has been super strict on these fighters uh, ever since you know fighting's been MMA fighting's been uh, legal in New York which has not has only been for a couple of months maybe a year now uh, in any case this was a, a fight where Aljamain Sterling had everything to gain obviously because the Suns house ranked a lot higher than him but it didn't work out for him so uh, two split decision losses in a row for Aljamain Sterling. I don't think it sets him back that much because he's still a big personality. He comes from a great camp uh, with uh, Sarah Longo out Long Island, the same camp as Chris Weidman. So he's got all that going for him, and he's still young. So I, I think uh, we give him an unranked guy next, and I think he bounces right back into contention in that division uh looking up and down this card uh nothing else really jumps out at me if i missed anything you know feel free to send me a note and let me know and uh the other thing that went on this weekend was another flow grappling event submission underground which i didn't have a chance to watch it live it took place uh, last night on sunday the 29th and I didn't watch this live because Flow Grappling charges, I think, $12.99 a month for their membership, which, you know, if you're really into jiu-jitsu and really into uh, competitive grappling, that's great. But, I mean, the price seems really steep for me. It's more than UFC Fight Pass. It's more than, uh, you know, Netflix. And it's more than any other streaming video service, really. And if you think about how much content you get on Fight Pass, you know, you get all the Eddie Bravo invitationals. Uh, the, the price is worth it just for those. But uh, $12.99 for a Flow Grappling and the Submission Underground events. And, and they don't even put on that many events. Maybe they're planning to do more. But, you know, the, the price is, is a little bit steep for me. And I understand that they're still a young company and they're trying to build their brand. But uh, maybe they got to rethink some of the marketing there. I would think if they dropped it down to like 5 bucks a month, you know, they'd be able to get 
five times as many subscribers and and make a little bit more money but you know who am i what do i know so i watched it uh after the fact and you know it's pretty pretty exciting it's a little bit different of an event they do it inside of an octagon of a cage and they said the reason for that is just the venues that they choose where there's no space to have a stage or the stage would be raised up and they don't want the fighters to fall off the stage or you know we don't want a bernard hopkins uh <laughs> for anybody who saw bernard hopkins last fight where he got knocked out and fell through the ropes and, and down to the floor uh, which is the reason that a lot of MMA doesn't take place in a ring anymore as well because they don't want the fighters uh, falling out. So uh, Flow Grappling, the Submission Underground competition, which uh, this is is sponsored and hosted by Chael Sonnen, uh, who's one of the biggest personalities in the sport of mixed martial arts, obviously. So they had a, they had a bunch of MMA fighters on this card, but the main event was Dylan Dennis, who you, you may have heard that name, He's uh, the grappling coach of Conor McGregor, so he's one of the premier grapplers in the world, and Conor had been bringing him in to his last couple of fights. I believe after the first Nate Diaz fight is when he started bringing Dylan Dennis in to start working on his grappling. And Dennis fought uh, AJ Agazarm. I, I think I'm saying it right, and if I'm not, I, I don't really care. Uh, this is a guy who is most famous for getting slapped by Jake Shields at Polaris uh, for stalling and trying to eye gouge. And it was much of the same in this contest. And even in the post-fight interview he's, or post-grappling contest interview, he said that going to a draw is the same as winning. Uh, so I, I have no respect for that kind of attitude. you got to go out and you've got to try and win and submit the guy. And he basically... He got taken down by Dylan Dennis, and he played defense the entire time. He didn't go for a single submission. He didn't get submitted either, but uh, you can't really respect a guy who's just turtling up and playing defense the entire time, which is the exact same thing he did when he grappled Jake Shields. Um, and, you know, that's someone who really doesn't have a competitive spirit. They're just looking to be the main event and, I guess, you know, build up their brand, but, you know, he's not a fighter, he's not a competitor, and I don't have any interest in seeing this guy grapple again, but Dylan Dennis won the main event because uh, Flow Grappling has the same kind of rules as EBI, where after the first 10 minutes, I think it's a 10-minute round, after the first 10 minutes, uh, if it's a draw, then they get put in bad positions, so one guy gets the other guy's back, or they get the start of an arm bar and then they have to try and escape and whoever has the quickest escape time wins the match so dylan dennis had the quickest quicker escape time by a lot um because aj wasn't able to control him at all and dylan dennis was easily able to escape uh aj's back control uh the coming event was uh gary tonin who uh, we've talked about on the show a lot and he's one of the you know the best grapplers on the planet right now multiple time and multiple uh weight class ebi winner uh he's fought as high as light heavyweight and i think the guy only weighs like 155 pounds but he's so game and so tough and he's always going to finish guys and always trying to submit guys so pretty much the complete opposite of aj agazarm so he was initially supposed to grapple with What's the guy's name? Hector Lombard. 
who everybody knows obviously is the UFC fighter and he had a fight scheduled so he wasn't able to compete in submission underground uh, due to I guess contract obligations it's kind of surprising that the UFC is allowing guys to compete in these things at all because usually they have no compete clauses in any case when he dropped out Chael Sonnen replaced him and then Chael Sonnen had some contract issues and he wasn't able to compete either so Gary Tonin called Chael Sonnen and he said get me Fabricio Verdum get me Jacare Souza uh, just like so game never complained about money never complained about having a last-minute replacement the guy just wants to grapple and compete against the best those guys are a lot bigger than him and they're known as being vicious grapplers. He wasn't able to get either of them, so the replacement ended up being UFC fighter Antonio Carlos Jr., who we know is a world champion in jiu-jitsu. And he wound up tapping Gary Tonin out with a flying triangle, which is pretty badass. Uh, so if you missed that, uh, which you probably did, go and find the video on YouTube in a couple of days. I imagine that'll be circulating soon. Uh, it's still hard to find right now because flow grappling... Uh, is really protective of their expensive content so uh, hopefully they figure out a way to make this more readily available because you know the $12.99 a month is just ridiculous for a platform that only I, I think they only provide grappling events and grappling events that they make so I don't know if there's any other content on there I haven't looked too far into it you know I just saw that price tag and shrugged my shoulders and said oh well I guess I'm not watching this uh and then another match of interest was Chad Mendez and Jeff Glover so Chad Mendez you know big name UFC fighter and wrestler uh Jeff Glover is really well known in the jiu-jitsu community he's competed in Metamoris and all these jiu-jitsu competitions and you know he's famous for his donkey guard where he basically uh shows his back to guys while they're standing and then jumps backwards at them and and ties up their legs and things like that in any case uh chad mendez submitted jeff glover which is, is huge because jujitsu guys don't usually submit jeff glover he's really sneaky guy and really tricky on the ground but uh mendez was able to get him in a rear naked choke so that's uh, definitely impressive uh, and raises the stock for Chad Mendez. And uh, he said he had a great time uh, competing in the flow grappling. So it's kind of cool that these UFC fighters are competing in these grappling events. And actually, Dylan Dennis called out John Jones uh, at the end of his at the end of his match, and he said John Jones is afraid to have a grappling match with him, which is it's kind of interesting because grappling is kind of the opposite of UFC these days. Because in UFC, guys are calling for money fights and they're calling to, you know, fight smaller fighters, and then these grapplers are calling guys out that outweigh them by 20, 30 pounds. I think Dylan Dennis only weighs 180, and obviously John Jones walks around at like 230, something like that. He was huge when he grappled uh, Dan Henderson, which also took place on this uh flow grappling platform in any case uh pretty much all i have to say about that uh next weekend or in two weeks we got ufc 208 which is holly home and jermaine durandamy for the uh the first match in the ufc featherweight division for the women which is a fight taking place between two bantamweights uh, it doesn't really make much sense. They basically built this division for Christiane Cyborg Santos, and then, you know, the timeline didn't work out for her, and then she 
you know, tested positive uh, for, you know, some type of anti-doping violation by USADA. So she's pretty much out of the picture, and the UFC is is stuck without, you know, a legitimate 145-pound fighter uh, in the first fight here. Uh, and then Anderson Silva was brought in to kind of save this pay-per-view. He seems to be like, you know, the go-to guy that they call out of the bullpen when a card is suffering it's what they did at ufc 200 and it's what they're doing now so he's going to fight Derek brunson in a fight that nobody cares about and uh there's some other interesting fights on paper here but i guess i'll wait till next week to kind of get into these and break these down it's it's not a terrible card um but it definitely shouldn't be a pay-per-view they should be putting this on on fox sports uh there's really and this seems to be consensus with everybody that there's no reason to make this a pay-per-view. I think they're going to be looking at abysmal pay-per-view buys if they leave it on pay-per-view. So we'll see what the UFC decides to do there. But if they leave it on pay-per-view, I know I won't be buying it. I'm going to go to a bar and watch it or watch it on the internet somehow. Uh, definitely by legal means, of course. All right, and that's pretty much all I got for this week. Pretty short show, but uh, I guess I didn't have a lot to say about what took place over the last weekend or anything that's coming up in the immediate future. If you're catching the show anywhere else, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and I think every major podcast app. If I'm not on something, then shoot me a note on social media, and I'll jump on it. Or you can go to the website, Rocks. Com. And if you're into the show, please leave some feedback and leave a review on your favorite platform. All right, that's all I got for this week. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.